This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Welcome to Primal Screen, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. I'm your host, Scrambled Ig, Paul Anthony Nelson, <laughs> and joining me in the virtual studio are Hard Boiled Ig, Sally Christie. I, I, I was trying to think of something really witty to say and I couldn't. Hello, Paul. How are you? <laughs> I blew it. And Poached Ig. Flick four. Oh, fresh <laughs> eggs are my favourite. How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> I tried to match. Uh, so, firstly, uh, here at this, uh, you may or may not know that here at the screen, we've expanded our social media presence a bit over the last two weeks. So, we can now be found on all sorts of platforms Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, on all of which we've seen a massive spike in new followers uh, over the last couple of weeks. So if you're a long-time listener who's just followed us on any of those platforms or if you found us there and are listening for the first time, we'd just like to thank you for your support for our little show and for Triple R, especially while we're all stuck at home. Uh, we're radio, both community and otherwise, and movies have been such a huge help and support to us during this time. And if you are listening for the first time, thank you and welcome to the Primal Screen family. So please tell all your film-loving friends to follow us and tune in. And also uh, feel free to comment, tweet, or gram us during the show. Our panellist killer, Carl Chapman, will do his best to filter them through to us, time permitting. You can find us on Facebook at uh, slash Primal Screen Show, at Twitter at at Primal underscore screen, and Instagram at at Primal underscore screen underscore show. Follow us on your platform of choice to find out what each week's lockdown special will be and what films we'll be reviewing along with trailers and pretty pictures. So we'll be diving into our second primal screen director spotlight. Very exciting. <laughs> Focusing on writer, uh, director, actor, comedian Taika Waititi. And we'll be discussing three of Waititi's films uh, that are currently uh, available to stream or rent online, which happen to be his first three features, 2007's Eagle vs. Shark, 2010's Boy, and 2004's What We Do in the Shadows. Now, for our director spotlights, we generally forgo the news bulletin, but we thought we'd take a moment to mention three passings that occurred this week. Firstly, the great and beloved comic actor Fred Willard who passed away over the weekend of natural causes at the age of 86. Willard um, did so much in his career, but is perhaps best known for being deployed like an atom bomb in the improvisational comedies of Christopher Guest, um, <laughs> waiting for Guffman, Best in Show, and A Mighty Wind. Hey, what happened? What happened? <laughs> I, I rewatched um Best in Show last night. Aww. He uh, went for her like she was made of ham. Oh my god, he's just so funny in it. Like that was yeah. When hilarious. we were gonna, when we were doing our comfort films um, special, that was going to be my pick, but yeah. it wasn't available to stream unfortunately. But um, hopefully, <gasps> will be available soon. I, th I think one of them. It might be best in show. Might be on Tubi. 
Oh, I think no. Best in Show is on Tubi, yes. Mm. Nice. Yes. So, you know, if we do a second comfort film special, yep. uh, you're up. <laughs> and from one brilliant comic actor to another, Jerry Stiller, who first achieved fame as part of the comedy team Stiller and Mira, which he formed with his wife, Anne Mira, but is probably best known and loved for playing George Costanza's dad, Frank. He of the Festivus for the rest of us. They're running I got, now. <laughs> I got a lot of problems with you people. <laughs> Who passed away last week of natural causes at the mighty age of 92. But the most shockingly sudden passing occurred over the weekend when the American independent filmmaker Lynn Shelton died of an, undis- um, an undiagnosed blood disorder at the age of 54. Having not begun directing films until she was 40, uh, she carved out a niche in her local uh, Seattle scene and then through the Sundance Film Festival became a huge influence on uh, the American independent film landscape, writing and directing semi-improvised comedy dramas Hump Day, Your Sister's Sister and Sort of Trust, among others, and had just directed episodes of the Hulu Amazon TV show Little Fires Everywhere and was just working on a new film project with her partner, Mark Marin when she died. A huge talent who was only just getting started, Shelton was taken far too soon and will be sorely missed. Yeah, that one really hit me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my friend Lee Zachariah, and I, Lee Zachariah and I used to do a podcast called Hell is for Hyphenates where we talked to um, industry people or about their favourite filmmakers and we spoke to Lynn for about an hour and a half about Claire Denis and she was wonderful. It was just mm-hmm. really funny, really delightful um, and it's funny, I've been reading a lot of tributes to her during the, during the week, uh, over the weekend. And, um, they all talk about her generosity and how she's supported so many people. Mm-hmm. She was one of the very, like, we talked to a few celebs during our time, um, on the show. She was one of the very few, you can count them on one hand, who followed Lee and I on Twitter after the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there any way that you, is, is it possible to share that, um, episode yeah, yeah, we can chuck it up on the uh, on the site. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. I'd afterwards. love to hear that. Mm, me mm. too. Yeah, but no, nah, she was. She just seemed like a like just a really special person, mm. and yeah, and her films are great. Um, Hump yep. Day in particular, I really love. But um, a lot of her films are streaming, so I uh, yeah, get out and catch them. So. Now let's uh, dive into the show and let's hear from the filmmaker that uh, we'll be spotlighting tonight, Taika They used to make fun of comedy. Well, they used to to dismiss it because, you know, it's just a silly film about silly ideas. But I know that my films are about very important things and and they've got deeper um, themes in them and, you know, my... Hunt for the Wilder People is about the foster care system in New Zealand, and Boy is about child neglect and raising children and families. Well, all my films are about families. You know, I mean, in some ways you could say what we do in the shadows is about um, is about wasting time and about how humans just waste time and they don't live their lives to the fullest. And even if you're an immortal, you'd still, you know, having been a human, you'd still just waste that time and not do anything. And it's also about immigration and it's about people who live on the outskirts and live in the margins. So, yes, all of my films, I think, do touch on something that's quite important. But on the surface, they kind of seem just like ridiculous films about nothing. A few things you didn't know about Taika Waititi. 
born Taika David Cohen. His father was Mari uh, and a farmer and an artist, but his mother is a school teacher of Russian Ashkenazi Jew- Jewish and Irish descent. Taika has often described himself as a Polynesian Jew. He started, as many comic actors and auteurs do, as performing as part of an ensemble at University Reviews, where Jermaine Clement and Brett McKen- where he met Jermaine Clement and Brett McKenzie, who he'd work on uh, Flight of the Concords with years later. He also made his film debut in the New Zealand cult film Scarface. He was always interested in creating visual art and drawing more than film. But when his mother took him to the to the movies at the age of thirteen, she took him to see a little cartoon. So I'll take the kid to see a cartoon. The cartoon was Akira. <laughs> <laughs> at age 13 and that blew his mind and showed that you showed him that you could mix genres and do wild things on film and uh so uh film tended to kind of be a marriage of all the things that he was interested in and he and his mates including his then girlfriend and eagle versus shark star lauren horsley made ridiculous no budget comedy shorts for new zealand's 48 hour film festival even after uh, his 2004 short film, Two Cars, One Night, was nominated for an Oscar. Um, some of them are still knocking around on YouTube if you search hard enough. And a lot of them really are just Tyker shooting himself with like funny teeth and doing bizarre things. So <laughs> join us in the living room as we hit play on our first film of the night. This is typical. No one ever thinks about me. It's because you're a loser. Uh, Eagle vs. Shark from 2007 was the first feature film directed by Taika Waititi. Love blossoms for Lily, Lauren Horsley, over double meaty boy burgers at midday when uber computer nerd Jared, Jermaine Clement, comes in and leaves with free extra large fries courtesy of her generosity. After gate-crashing Jared's uh, dresses-your-favourite animal party and proving her skills on the game console at Fighter Man, Lily goes down to Jared's hometown with him so he can settle an old score with a past school bully. Sally, where did you land on Eagle vs. Shark and what is your favourite animal? Oh, my God, that's such a hard question, Carl. I wasn't prepared for that. Oh, Paul, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, we're on Zoom, so I'm looking at four different faces at one time. (laughs) Um, So, Paul, I wasn't prepared for that question. (laughs) Uh, I would say cat. What's your favourite What's my favourite? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I haven't thought about this. I should have had an answer prepared. <laughs> oh, look, I don't know. I've always thought if I'd be a dog, it'd be a beagle. So, beagle. you know, let's just put a beagle in there. But it's probably something cool like a like a tiger or something, you know, yeah, like a beagle tiger. Yeah, I was going to choose a lion. <laughs> thought about it, Flick. You, yeah. were, you came prepared. <laughs> no, I didn't. I just it's right on the tip of my tongue at all oh. times. <laughs> but I think um, I saw Eagle versus Shark pretty soon after it was first released, and I've always been really taken by it. Um, and I've always kind of had this notion in my head that Taika Waititi's films are quite similar. Um, mm. until I've kind of gone through this week and watched um, Eagle vs. Shark Boy and What We Do in the Shadows uh, within a week. And they're all actually quite really different films. The soundbite that you played before, Paul, um, was interesting Where with him talking about how they are all to do with family, which is a really big theme and especially an absent parent or the death of a parent mm. kind of seems to be a really big theme that comes through in most of his work. Even in Thor. Yes. Mm. Yeah. yeah, even Thor Ragnarok, yeah. Yep, yeah. So, and 
As far as I know, that's not his personal experience. I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. But um, as far as I know, um, that wasn't his sort of experience growing up. So it's interesting that he has kind of taken that and ran with it. But um, Eagle versus Shark, there's lots of, I guess, comparisons with this film to Napoleon Dynamite. Mm. And I can see why. I can yeah. definitely see why. But there's one thing with this film that really strikes me is there's a real sort of humanity with this film that comes through where these characters that we're presented with, um, we're not laughing at them. We're laughing with them in parts that need or we're feeling sympathy with them in parts that need to be feel, felt sympathy for because it is quite a difficult film at times, but then at other times it is absolutely hilarious. Like mm. the climax in this film is so funny, <laughs> but also, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's still really conflicting. So there's a lot of interesting sort of human emotion there. And I didn't realise that um, that was his ex-partner that he wrote yeah. the film with. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that. Okay. Because, yeah, they were yeah. together for most of the 2000s, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Because, yeah, it does feel, um, yeah, like I mentioned before, that I've always felt that there was a lot of similarity with his films and now I don't necessarily tend to think that way. And um, this feels very different. We've got that kind of thing which we see again in Boy where we're looking at imagination that comes through in either, you know, this here in stop motion, in drawing. Um, and we can see him sort of really establishing himself as a filmmaker here. But um, it does have a real different flavour and also I think a different kind of humour to his other films as well. Mm, absolutely. I agree. Mm. I, it, I'm glad that we um, just by chance picked the, his first three films and um, it was nice actually because I have the same feeling of like similar sort of um, humour to them and similar styling and um, repeated conventions and motifs throughout his films. But mm -hmm. there is actually a huge amount of diversity in just yeah. these three films. So by chance, I think we picked a really nice um, trilogy. I was thinking, um, similar to that, the the on-screen performance, and you were talking about the humanity of these characters before Sally, and I was thinking, um, thinking about just the way that they move on screen and their mannerisms and all of the close-ups on their faces and I really I really got into it mm -hmm. and um, I read that he had made um, them wear slightly larger shoes than they required <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> to give this sort of awkward gait to their walking <laughs> and I, I thought that that was such a lovely little um a really small tweak because it, it really work. does yeah it totally works <laughs> and it and it really adds this wonderful awkwardness to them and you're right that it's not really like you're laughing at them because there's there's so much of the narrative is dedicated to getting into these characters and understanding their flaws but it's kind of so obvious like it, you know when you first meet Jared he's kind of um, presented as this dream boy kind of coming in <laughs> with his little he's mullet. He's such an asshole. <laughs> yeah. I know. He's a yeah. prick. Oh, absolutely. I was I kind of was thinking it just reminded me a lot of really terrible boyfriends and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> it's that but, um, kind of, I, I was reading today that they were, had kind of all gone into this film and played teenage versions of themselves. Mm. Whereas, oh, right. like, yeah. you know, this kind of really bad choice that you're making and you just don't see it but yeah, yeah. <laughs> i do seem that's like a so grown children yes yeah very yeah. much so mm -hmm. oh that's so perfect um yeah there's a, there's a lot in this film i um 
I thought um, it's an amazing, um, amazing, amazing visual confidence. Like the way you were saying before about his history and visual design and, mm. and drawing, and it's like so clear across all three films, especially I think Eagle versus Shark and Boy, um, where yeah, you're cutting to um, the visual visual world so much, and uh, sorry, these little drawings and things like that, and also just the stop animation was really beautiful and and used in quite dark moments and quite tender moments, and it adds a lightness but it also kind of assumes um, something completely like a, a kind of different uh, headspace, almost like it's got these, the, I think that the stop motion acts as this philosophical inquiry at these moments these, that are so intense, it kind of forces you to pause, which well, is used in a completely, not a completely different way in Boy, but I mean, we'll talk about that film next, but um, it's so interesting how he plays around with those different um platforms I don't know I was really swept up in this and I did have a bit of style inspo from those fantastic tracksuits that his sister <laughs> <finds>. awesome apparel <laughs> yeah well, I know that, um Lauren Horsley was saying because the, the character of Lily was based on her as a teenager um that with the stop motion especially with the apple cores that when she was younger she'd eat an apple and throw apple cores away and then be very concerned about that apple core for the entire day if it was going to be lonely or if it was going to um, what was going to happen to the apple core. So she said this was a big sort of neurosis for her growing up and that's kind of, I guess, why that was weaved in there. Mm. That's so cute. You really get a sense of her. I love that she's a very caring character and you could almost say a bit of a doormat at times. But there's also she's got a bit of a, I love that her trajectory is kind of one of caring strength almost like she mm-hmm. she's she doesn't sort of fall you think that she's going to fall into that sort of um you know being either swept up in by him or sort of it's going to be she she just has much more agency than you'd think because she kind of comes across as so caring and she actually doesn't stop being caring or you know she's always kind to the characters around her but I kind of really loved her as a character I thought there's a lot going on there that um mm. was quite meaningful I did too. Um, she's got a lot of, I think there's a lot of quiet determination there. And I think that she, there's a part of her that sees something in Jared that none of us see that she's, yes. she knows is there. And she knows if he gets out of his own way, he might become it. Yep. And, and I think she feels like that that person is worth investing in. And it's mm. her choice. Like, it, like there's, she has a limit and there's a point where she's like, you know what? No, just not. I can't deal with that anymore. But I, I, yeah, I really, really love her character. Um, I just said, Sal, yeah, she was carrying it in her head for years. Um, and her and Taika would talk about it. And eventually it was like, well, let's make, make a script out of this. Mm-hmm. Apparently wrote the script in a week. Oh, the oh wow. Scripts, fastest he ever written a script. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's funny. You gave me so much context, Sal, because I, one of my criticisms were the stop motion stuff is just so extraneous. Like it just didn't add anything to it for me. Yeah. And that actually. I can, I can see that. Nice but um, yeah, that kind of learning of why it was in there, the same thing. Mm. It, it it helped. Watching it without that context, I think, does, does kind of go, well, what's the point of this? Why is yeah, it, it seems a little here? twee. Um, and, yeah, the film does feel very post-Napoleon dynamite, mm-hmm. but it's, it's Tyke of finding his his voice. Uh, somebody I was talking to the other day kind of referred it to his baby steps. You know, it was like yeah. a, it was like a baby step. What about Bob? Baby, <laughs> <laughs> baby steps get on the bus. Yeah. He's working out who, what his voice is. 
and and it's also you know him and Lauren's voice because of course they sort of wrote the story together and then he extrapolated that in the script um but it gets that sort of um and but again there's so much in it and a lot of it is these sort of long buried feelings and and resentments and things that have obviously had an effect and that Jared is this product of neglect and this product mm-hmm. of always being and 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 by the end you're like yeah Jared's a prick but I kind of can see why to a certain extent you know it's like and sort of you know his whole family have never really seen him you know and it's like and Lily does and it's kind of that and I like that it's sort of hard that that transformation is actually quite hard one it's not easy it's not like oh it's like even at the end you're sort of doubting why she's still with him but at the same time you know she she can see it there's also and, a, a, a tribute to her determination. Really, like a very interesting comment on um, the way, I guess, schoolyard bullying has long-term effects on people's lives yeah. forever. Um, rather than looking at something and going, this thing happened years ago, get over it. It's something that uh, Jared is consumed by and he mm. can't get over this. And um, that's, I think, a, like a real key for this film is that you know these things have massive consequences on people for the rest of their lives and super damaging and the way that he deals uh Taika Waititi deals with that uh, I think is really beautiful yeah and And it's funny yeah that's the thing it's both (laughs) hilarious and messed up and really sad all at once Yep. which is quite a balancing act to pull out for your first film um I was reading some interviews with him and he was sort of saying that he he doesn't think he has a straight drama in him. He doesn't like depressing films. He like he's he's just not that kind of person. But he wants to still tackle these dramatic subjects, and yeah, he always, oh, always does it through this sort of comic lens. And so that is a perfect mm. that scene. Like you know, by the time he's hitting that guy with the nunchucks, like it's like <laughs> that is a perfect encapsulation of the sort of thing that Taika Waititi does. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that he doesn't like making depressing films because I think with the three that we picked, um, Eagle versus Shark and Boy especially have quite, you know, depressing or maybe bleak is a better word, Mm. um, setups. And I think that um, I was thinking a lot about national cinema and the way in which, you know, all of his films have obviously received funding through um, the Film Board of, of New Zealand and there's a way of kind of determining what makes national cinema by what films get funded. So these stories are still being told and it's interesting that they're with a comic lens and with a sometimes musical lens in his work. But there's still those social issues that are popping through and I kind of was really touched by that, that he doesn't shy away from that those issues. Um, having said that, it is a very fun film. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Great I mean, at the, it. At the, that's the thing. It's, and it's the best way to kind of communicate a lot of those issues I think and you know and at the very least is Jermaine Clement acting like a spoiled teenager like an <laughs> idiotic teenager it's great um Eagle versus Shark is now available to stream on stand and to rent or buy via YouTube iTunes or Google Play you're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R Triple R on FM digital online and via the app Listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Flickford, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. Now pour yourself something nice and come join us on the couch for our second film of the evening. My dad's not here right now. He's a busy man. He's a master carver. 
deep sea treasure diver, the captain of the rugby team, and he holds the record for punching out the most people with one hand. Boy from 2010 it was the second feature film directed by Taika Waititi. It's 1984 and Michael Jackson is king, even in Waihau Bay, New Zealand. Here we meet Boy, James Rolleston, an 11-year-old boy who lives on a farm with his gran, a goat, his younger brother, Rocky, and uh, lots of cousins. Um, shortly after Gran leaves for a week, Boy's father, Alamein, Taika Waititi, appears out of the blue. Having imagined a heroic version of his father during his absence, Boy comes face-to-face with the real version, an incompetent hoodlum who has returned to find a bag of money he buried years before. Flick, this was your pick for the evening, I believe. Yes. Um, yeah, this film has got – I was waiting for you to say something. I don't have anything, yeah. <laughs> sorry, and for the next two films, I don't have zingers, so <laughs> just a hand pass. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, look, this film has so much uh, – so many elements that I just love. So firstly, it's got these cute little musical interludes and the song that you played before features in the the final, the end credits in one of the best little remixes of <laughs> Poirier where it's like this Michael Jackson thriller-esque um, version. I have so much love for this film and it was so nice to return to it because um, just to do a deeper dive, I suppose. So um, any excuse will do. It's a um, also another thing that I really love is that when films give child characters proper development and actually allow for them to be fully formed characters in their own right rather than some sort of side bit and of course you know the film's called boy it's about boy and um also about boys because you know there is this sense of what it's like to grow up as a child within that sort of um setup where you know very absent you know within that community very absent fam fam father figures but also absent parenting in general um you have the nana who's been caring for them drive away to um, go to a funeral and the children are just sort of left there to look after themselves for the week and they're all really young, like boys, the elders. And then you have all these scenes um, where the kids are waiting in the cars of their parents as, the you know, the parents are gambling and drinking and getting into fights. And so there's this real sort of dark undercurrent to the film that is, isn't really it's just shown as it is. There's not kind of a judgment with it. There is a lot of humour and jokes based around that and there's there, there's a lightness there but it's also a difficult film to watch and there's certain scenes in which Boy is really humiliated by his father in front of his friends and this awful scene featuring his pet goat that I found particularly upsetting and there's these very dark elements to it but there also is an amazing amount of humour and warmth to this film and just a wonderful kind of um i just i really love his style and i think that this film in particular really brings out all of those little elements that were perhaps starting to be formed in eagle versus shark but in the second feature i feel as though uh he's just able to perhaps articulate it better so have this sense of um wanting to tell that story and I love that he said it in like 1984 so it allows for him to have all these very specific um, pop cultural icons um, and and references throughout that throughout that film, but I don't know. I just I really love the fact that it's a celebration, but it's also an honest celebration, perhaps, of these things. It's not shying away from these issues. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've got a million fantastic things to say about this film. I loved it. 
you know. Yeah, it's, it is. It's a really, really beautiful film. And um, I know one of the main reasons why he set this in the 80s is because I know that Waititi um, felt that that was an important time um, politically in New Zealand. Mm. So that was a time Particularly where, for Maoris, yeah. Yes, when, mm. you yeah. know, they were finding their feet. Um, so that was kind of a really big deal for them. Um, but it is. It's a really upsetting film. Mm. <laughs> but it's a gorgeous film. I um, am also a high school teacher and this is a film that I've taught on uh, my high school curriculum for quite a few years now so I'm really familiar with it and school last... Sally <laughs> I, I just I just hope you're going you say to your students you can both fuck up but you're going to the principal <laughs> I, would, I would love to sometimes <laughs> <laughs> I learned so much about like New Zealand slang as well like I've never heard so any good before. <laughs> One of those, one of those films where towards the end of it, I have to always make sure that I'm working at my laptop and not actually watching the film because it is so upsetting. And I think God, I'd be in tears in front of a class. And that's why I think there's that really nice thriller um, segment in the credits to kind of take the sting away from how heavy this film actually yeah. is. Mm. And um, yeah, like you said, Flick, it's kind of just lays everything out as it is, and there's not really any kind of judgment there. Um, and yeah, it's a really gorgeous film. One thing that I find I found really interesting about this is because there's so much talk about Michael Jackson and ET that um, Taika Waititi said that he did uh, get the rights to lots of um, music that he could have used in it, like Beat It, Billie Jean, all this kind of stuff. Um, he had the money to use those uh, songs in this film, and then in the uh, process of sort of editing they took away from the heart and the the independent uh, the independent feel of this film mm. so he was saying that if you know we throw something like Billie Jean in here the the mood of this film is going to completely shift um and it's going to take viewers out of where they should be mm. so yeah, we've got he these... said it it'd overwhelm the film yeah. people would be asking how they afford that because it's this yeah. tiny film otherwise yeah. yeah it's just true i know i when i watch independent films i always do that i think how did they afford this song where did this come from but i i mean not everybody thinks that but um yeah it's a really gorgeous film and also interesting to to find out that his intention wasn't necessarily to play boy's dad he did audition a lot of other people for the role and then in the end just thought that he was the best best one for it because he's not um, oh sorry I was gonna say boy boy the actor who's playing boy also was only chosen at the last minute as well he was one of the extras yeah they went I think they went to a school and just asked um, Mm. some school children who wanted to come and audition for a film and a whole bunch of them did and some of them were extras and yeah and then James Rollinson ended up being boy. <laughs> yeah. Rocks up to a costume fitting as an extra and they went, hey, maybe you should audition because you look pretty good. And then he just blew the other kid away yeah. two days yeah. out. Um, I was going to say, Sally, just quickly on your point before about um, deciding not to put those songs in because it being too much of a tonal shift and the sort of criticism um, we're sort of talking a little bit about with Eagle versus Shark in the, the Apple scene mm-hmm. for you kind of uh, for Paul took away from it I thought actually interestingly enough when the drawings are used in boy it actually adds a darkness like a darker subtext to what yeah, it does because yep, his younger brother really is the 
kind of holder of the mother's memory and mm. and grief you know he's really this um the one who the one character who is acknowledging it and and sort of holding on to this past and represents mm-hmm. that and I thought that it's his drawings were kind of beautiful and I loved that they didn't try make them cute or they just looked actually like a child's drawings like yeah I loved that 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 narrative was brought out through those drawings and, and a lot of darkness through that rather than it being sort of a split from the narrative but also kind of flagging that Rocky is a creative kid and yeah. this is how he processes. Yeah, he's magical. He is. He's magic. Oh, doesn't he's he magical. just break your heart? His he is. He's magical. Face. He's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I, this is such a beautiful movie. Every time I return to it, I think I'm a little bit flawed by how great it is. Yeah. It's it's just, and again, it's it's that, that like, to me, this is Waititi's masterpiece. I think that too. And if we're saying if he's fighting his feet with eagle versus shark, I've mm. looking at these two in the same week, they're so different. Yeah, they could come from totally different filmmakers. Like they are so so different. This this is a masterpiece. Boy is incredible. And there's also that, but it's interesting because they, they they share some stuff too. Like there's this mm. constant thing about um, kind of arrested masculinity. Like these mm. sort of these kind of men in arrested development who either had terrible role models or are terrible role models. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's, you know, there's a lot of crossover between um, Jermaine Clement in Eagle vs. Shark and Taika here, you know, yep. in terms of just these sort of man boys. They're both single dads. They're both, you know, it's really interesting because Taika's always been a little fast and loose with, he, he says that this isn't autobiographical. But there's clearly parallels to things in his home life, like it's his like, hometown, isn't it? Where it was, it's, yeah, it's his hometown. Yeah. There's members of his family throughout the movie, yeah. and it's also this sort of idea that he is, um, that his dad did, his dad was absent for a while in in his life, and okay. I think sort of came in and out of his life because um, he seemed to kind of have a decent relationship with him by the end. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there is, and you know, obviously his mother kind of lived on for you know longer. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. You're sort of trying to pass what's sort of biographical, what isn't, what's observed and what's lived. But yeah, yeah I just find this. I suppose as, with the community so, as well, like the community mm, more broadly of what he would have seen and yeah, you know, that comes out as well. He's also telling those stories. Yeah. And it's a beautiful way also too of not telling, like you could tell these stories in a really sanctimonious, worthy way. And this is like, the perfect way to do this like is mm. to just put you in this kid and i think like i i think he does have a rare skill with directing kids like i think it's yeah he does it's mm. in that sort of almost in that francois truffaut kind of ballpark in terms of how good he is at at exploring kids in a worlds and directing children mm. um and writing children as well um but yeah but there's so many so many layers here of of you know between the the community and grief but also what's great about the community these strong women like um rachel house's character who's yeah. like has five jobs <laughs> at one point she tells boy to get a job and he's like you've got them all already <laughs> it's just, I just love, yeah she's so excellent she pops up in so many of those films well, well. she's in all his films. she's in every yeah. single one she's yeah. even yeah she's yeah. in four she's in all of them yeah, yeah. But it, just in New Zealand cinema, though, it <laughs> pops up yeah. in a lot of films. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, I think this is uh, this is such a brilliant, brilliant film, and just completely. If he was searching for his voice in his in Eagle versus Shark, he well and truly found it here. Mm. Um, the first title for the film was Choice, 
Um, was it? Yeah. This choice. And, choice. And then he got awesome. worried that why did he got worried that it wouldn't translate overseas? So for a while it was called the volcano because it was this sort of metaphorical thing, and it even mm. filmed as the volcano. Um, and then at the la- after after filming, they changed it to boy. Um, so boy is now streaming on SBS on demand and is available to rent or buy via YouTube, iTunes, and Google Play. You're listening to Primal Screen on Three Triple R. Triple R. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford, Sally Christie, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. So grab the microwave popcorn and join the members of your household for our last film for tonight. Um, it's a lot of stuff on the floor down here, Peter, and like this seems, I don't, oh, it's a spinal column, yuck. And I was thinking maybe I should just bring a broom down here for you if you wanted to sweep up some of the skeletons. I don't know, you know, maybe. Okay. Got you this chicken. <laughs> what we do in in the shadows from 2014. I'm just watching our uh, panel operator, Killer Carl Chapman, crack up at that clip. It's great. <laughs> Was the third feature directed by Taika Waititi and the first from co-director Jermaine Clement. A documentary crew follows vampire housemates Viago, Taika Waititi, Vladislav, Jermaine Clement, Deacon, Johnny Bro, and Peter... Ben Francham, as they try to cope with the complexities of modern life, feeding on the living and dividing household chores. But when a young hipster named Nick, Corey Gonzalez McEwa, is suddenly turned, some take to him and, and show him the perks of being undead, while others can't stand him and want him out of the house. And along the way, they meet some werewolves, not swearwolves. Isn't that right, Sally? <laughs> That is that is right. I remember um, seeing this for the first time at MIF um, when, what was it, 2014? Yeah. 2014 MIF. And coming out of the cinema and I actually felt like my face was going to fall off because it was so sore because I had been laughing nonstop for 90 minutes. Um, I don't, God, I don't even know what to say about this. <laughs> But it's so funny and so excellent. And he plays with all these genre conventions that we see, um, you know, in vampire films. And I don't know, a few people might have realised that I've been losing my mind a little bit the last few weeks over Interview with the Vampire, my rediscovering my my love. Just exactly. It's (laughs) bloody great, but it's another conversation. I'm (laughs) looking at the paperback on my desk in front of me. But look... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> looking at, you know, these kind of vampires that we're used to seeing in cinema and um, just making them absolutely hilarious. I love um, my favourite bit is when Nick eats, goes to try and eat some fish and chips and he realises he can't <laughs> eat them anymore and they're his favourite food and, like, oh, it's just, like I said, I don't know what to say about this film. It's just it's it's that, incredible. Was, that is wonderful, that bit. Just to like the spewing blood, yeah, like sort of spray hose. And he's just like, I love vomit. chips and I can't have them anymore. But one think thing, a vampire sucks, I'm over it. Don't believe the hype. <laughs> anymore. But um, have you, either of you seen the his earlier short with this film? I think it was, what, 2005? 2005, yeah. I still haven't watched it. I've watched no, almost all of his shorts and that one I've, I've not seen. I've seen it mm. and it's... 
personally, I don't think it's very funny. Oh, I don't think it's wow. that great. And it's really interesting to watch that in comparison to how incredible this film is. Um, it's a lot of, you know, similar humour, but for whatever reason, it just does not work in the short. Mm. Um, it doesn't come through as well and I guess, you know, as polished as it does in what we do in the shadows. Mm. So, yeah, interesting to kind of compare how those that sort of panned out in the long run. Yeah. One of my one of my favorite comedy genres is the mockumentary. So I absolutely love this film. I was so glad when you picked it, Paul. Um, I I remember seeing this when it came out, and just similar to you, Sally, just like loving every second. It really is well. It's it's almost flawless um, mm. pacing, and there's not a there's no dead weight in it at all. Like it's really. I think it's down to the naturalistic style and this whole like documentary play there's this fantastic bit where um you're on certain occasions made aware of the camera the camera people the camera crew themselves and it's kind of fantastic because you're like oh yeah they could get killed right now yeah. and it's um <laughs> I love that kind of play around and and it's kind of there's just so ordinary and there's this real tendency in vampire films to have this you know we were talking about this the other week about how there's this real um and you, you were mentioning this Sal about the class the class uh, ranking of, of vampires and I think that they he really plays with this and especially when they're walking like going out yes. to try get into the clubs in Wellington and I um I just, <laughs> they are kind of like is, upper class all... toffs aren't they like you know what I mean yeah. like upper class twits like this is all around. leading to us doing a vampire special I think yeah, I like think just we need so. we need to do something with the interview with the vampire involved yeah, yeah. I need I need a platform yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of them one of my favorite bits is when they do bump into the werewolves so yes. I just think there's so much Great. funny banter and kind of similar like you were saying before Paul about how uh Taika's films often deal with this sort of um uh, um, what did you, you use? Fantastic phrasing, and now I can't think of what it was about masculinity being uh, arrested. arrested. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I yeah. think that um, there's an element to that here, and and it runs through all three films. <laughs> but I thought it was there's also like this wonderful tenderness to it as well. Like they have this closeness to stew the human, and yeah. oh, I don't know. There's a lot of yeah, and even like. Anton from the from the werewolves looking after everybody. Yeah, you make sure you chain you make sure you chain to the tree. You <laughs> did you wear your tracksuit pants because you, you split your good ones. You just bought yeah. that jacket the other day. Take it off before you change. Like he's being really nurturing. Yeah, <laughs> Reese Darby's character. Yeah, yeah, and I do think that each of these films gives a real sense of um, Kiwiana. You know, there's a real sense of ways in which uh, those kind of uh, masculine bonds are quite different to they are in Australia in some ways. You know, there's a really beautiful little commentary there. Yeah. I Yeah. I, I, like you, Sal, like the first time I saw this, it was just a gale of laughs from beginning to end. But, but yeah, I think there's a surprising amount of tenderness in this film. Like, a, like between it's, – it's, it's only a small sort of subplot, but the way they play with Viago and his long-lost love – yeah, and the way they, you know, have they deal with like, like with you know the the fight over Nick and the group, but then the way they all like stew and they and they kind of take him <laughs> in as this human, and they're like, you know, they, they banish Nick for you know his transgression, but they're like, but Stu could still come over, and, <laughs> yeah. and it's and but it's also really stylish. There's one or two genuine frights in this. Yeah, um, Peter is amazing. 
I oh. love the Nosferatu. <laughs> yeah, incredible. And especially at a point where we were getting so much of this mockumentary-style film where it was almost overkill mm. um, at this point when this was released and it just, yeah, it still managed to have this real freshness about it and not feel boring. Mm. Yeah, and I love the fact that apparently um, uh, Jermaine Clement based his performance on Gary Oldman's Dracula. I and- can see that. Yeah. yeah, like there's lots in there, like the opening the door and there's like him with the brides with the sheet yep. around them. Yeah. But um, why did he base his performance on his mother? Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, Viago is. is I don't know yeah, how I'd feel like... about that if I was his mum. But Viago's <laughs> so sweet. Like he's yeah, always like, wakey, wakey, everybody. Yeah. He's looking after. Yeah. Again, he's like the Anton of the group. Like he's looking yeah. after everybody. Mm. It is quite feminized as well. I was thinking also, just like across all three films, there's also the way in which they. The fight scenes are always so misguided and don't really go there. Anticlimactic. Like, yeah. yeah, anticlimactic, exactly. And just like the way they hiss. <laughs> just thinking about it cracks me up. But you're right, there's, yeah, there's so much, um, oh, yeah, he's quite a feminised character in a lot of ways. So I can mm. I can totally he's, see that. Yeah, he's the dandy, um, mm. the, old, the old dandy. Yep. <laughs> the old dandy, Viago. <laughs> Love him so much. Um, yeah, this is so, and it's like 85 minutes or something, I think. All the, all of these films are like 85 minutes. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. Um, <laughs> good good on you, Taika Waititi. More people <laughs> yeah. take, take a feather out of your cap. <laughs> But yeah, I like. I just think these are three really, really marvelous films. Great to watch as a triple feature. Like we said, yeah. not too long, and you can just really kind of, um, yeah, have yourself a lovely Sunday in watching all these. So you have been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Flick Ford, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. We hope you enjoyed our Primal Screen director spotlight on Taika Waititi, where we discussed Eagle versus Shark, now streaming on Stan. Boy and What We Do in the Shadows, both streaming on SBS On Demand. Actually, What We Do in the Shadows is only streaming on SBS On Demand for the next 10 days, and then they're taking it off. But all three films are also available to rent or buy via YouTube, iTunes, or Google Play. You can also subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast via iTunes or wherever else you find your favourite podcasts. Next week, we'll be chatting to two lords of Melbourne cinema, Cinema Nova manager Christian Connolly and Astor Theatre manager and programmer Zach Hepburn about how they're responding to COVID-19's enforced shutdown of cinemas. And we'll be checking out a couple of new releases. Remember those? Uh, <laughs> Do we know what they, they are yet? Have we, we don't. Decided? The titles will be revealed. I don't know it. if I can handle new films. This is- <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm getting more and more entrenched in the old stuff. Yeah. Uh, and we kind t- of know how we feel about these old films. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also that thing if we're looking back at retrospective stuff, we tend to pick stuff that we obviously we like. Yeah, yeah. true. So, you know, we're all sitting here going, I love this. this yeah, true. Great. We're going to have some more. We're going to have some takedowns now. Yeah. 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 Maybe. Maybe yeah. we'll love them. Who knows? We don't even know what they are yet. Well, uh-huh. if, it, well if it's anything like Netflix's usual output, look out. Um <laughs> So the, the takedowns t- begin. Paul's <laughs> <laughs> already started. Yeah. Yep. The gloves are off. Um, <laughs> the titles of which will be revealed on our social media channels this week. So stay tuned to facebook.com slash Primal Screen Podcast, on Twitter at Primal Screen Film, and on Instagram at Primal underscore Screen underscore Show. 
Um, so, yeah. So if you want to watch uh, Taika Waititi's three films, you can. They're all uh, streaming and rentable. And also his other film, Hunt for the Wilder People, is also streaming on SBS On Demand. Yeah, and, I saw that. And Thor Ragnarok and Jojo Rabbit are both available to rent or buy via the YouTube, iTunes, and Google Play channels as well. You could do a whole marathon. Yeah. You just mainline <laughs> Waititi one weekend and watch his crazy 48-hour film festival shorts on youtube although you probably want to smoke something before you do that <laughs> a huge thank you to morty osborne for editing the bromal screen podcast and to killer carl chapman for providing paneling and uh, producing assistance for our show Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 